gentlemen, welcome back to episode 22 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram and Twitter. Draft Guide is on FantasyLawGuy.com. Today's episode, mid-round wide receiver fades. Hakeem dropped the ball! Oh, Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep attriculating the ball down the field, boy. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. A bit of a scare yesterday afternoon. Josina Anderson reported that the Saints were open to trading Alvin Kamara. Yes, that Alvin Kamara, the top five running back on pretty much everybody's fantasy boards. He was top three at one point on my draft board. And I mentioned on my last episode that Kamara had a string of missed practices and was likely, this was likely due to a contract dispute and that I should have factored in the risk of Kamara holding out into his top four ranking on my draft board, like I did with Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon. I had moved them down to round two simply because of the risk of the holdout. And even if it's only a 10% chance or a low percentage I don't want to be taking that risk in round one of fantasy drafts, especially when you consider that this potential trade report came two weeks after Kamara cryptically tweeted, quote, I'm sorry in advance. So he could see the water starting to boil here, and I should have listened to him. I should have listened to that tweet, however vague. But nevertheless, here we are, and and later reports indicated that the Saints and Kamara are still in negotiations, and quote-unquote, cooler heads have prevailed. That was the exact terminology. The Saints offered AK-41 a contract worth $12 million a season, reportedly, and he, apparently, Kamara is seeking closer to $16 million a season, and that's the number that Christian McCaffrey received. But again, we don't know what the guaranteed money is for either offer, and that's kind of the meat on the bone, especially for a running back co- contract. And longtime beat writer Jeff Duncan clarified in a tweet that the Saints are not making Kamara available for trade. They want to re-sign him, but they will be open to trading him if a deal is not done. And they are seeking a first-round pick in return if that happens. Okay, so there's a lot to take away here. First of all, I don't think the Saints will fetch a first-round pick for Alvin Kamara. Teams know that Kamara is best utilized specifically in the Saints offense, and he's less valuable in other offenses. And fantasy managers need to know that too, by the way. If the Saints do the unthinkable and they do trade Alvin Kamara, it would be devastating for his fantasy value, pretty much regardless of where he ended up. But not many teams, if any, in my opinion, are going to give up a even a second-round pick for Kamara and then have the added caveat of they have to make him the second-richest running back in the NFL behind Christian McCaffrey. I mean, the only coach who would possibly do that would would be Bill O'Brien for Houston. He already did that basically with David Johnson this offseason. So what's interesting about this negotiation is that Kamara, who had two amazing seasons and one not so great one last year, 
is negotiating a new contract after his worst season, right? Like after he dealt with injuries all year and now after reportedly having received an epidural for his back. So his pain is not completely gone. And that's a whole other conversation there. But Kamara is not currently 100% healthy. So you would think the Saints would have some leverage in this negotiation. But in reality, they don't have a lot of leverage because the Saints are uniquely set up for a Super Bowl or bust season. And his agent knows that. And I know it's been that way for the last three seasons as well. But this time, Drew Brees has pretty much admitted that this would be his last year. Like All indications are that this is the final shot for the New Orleans Saints. So Kamara, who has one left one year left on his rookie deal, set to make only like $2 million this year, has most of the leverage because he knows the Saints are all in for this season and they need Kamara. He's such a huge part of this offense and so great when healthy. So when the news of the Saints being open for a trade initially broke, it meant that either the Saints are leaking this purposely in an effort for posturing or trying to gain leverage in contract negotiations, or it meant that the two parties are so far apart that they won't reach a deal by week one. And I lean toward the former there. I think that this holdout will last a few more days and they'll get something done right before the season starts. You know, deadlines, spur action, that kind of thing. But but another variable here is that the Saints are broke and are expected to be heavily over the cap next season. So can they afford them? is a fair question. But on the other hand, Mickey Loomis is famous for kind of laughing at the concept of the salary cap and moving money around and kicking the can down the road. And another thing to consider here is that the Saints have set precedents on both sides here. Like on one end, they did this with Michael Thomas last year. They waited until the last moment and then paid Michael Thomas. And Thomas actually went on to have his best season to date. But the Saints have also traded away or let go some of their great players. Like as Nick Underhill pointed out, Jimmy Graham, Darren Sproles, great examples of beloved players on the team that the Saints just walked away from or even dealt. So let's attack this from a fantasy angle. I think there's about an 85% chance that the Saints get this deal done. But I am moving Kamara down on my board. I don't think we should be drafting him at pick three, pick four overall. Right now, I've slotted him at pick six overall. I would take Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over Kamara if I was drafting today or tonight. And if I'm drafting in the top five, I want to be sure that I'm ending up with a great player, but who is also available. And I may be conservative here, but I think in rounds one and two, you know, my philosophy is going for safety there, upside later in the draft. I want foundation in rounds one and two. And I think the drop-off from the running backs after Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, like to that Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon tier, is substantial enough to slot Kamara in there with the added risk. But I won't blame you if you don't want to touch Alvin Kamara in round one at all until we get more clarity here. Honestly, I won't blame you for that. Like, what is your tolerance for risk? And do you love the players you can take over him? If you love Josh Jacobs, or even if you love Joe Mixon, or even Kenyon Drake, I'm not going to blame you if you take those out over Alvin Kamara. Some of the reports we've seen are pretty ominous. And I have those guys over Dalvin Cook because I actually expect Dalvin Cook to go be going through the same exact situation either this week or next week. And I moved Dalvin Cook down to round two. And I moved Joe Mixon down to round two because of potential looming holdouts or contract disputes. And the good news is that Joe Mixon has signed a contract extension. As of yesterday, he's all clear now. <laughs> 
I've actually moved him back to round one, eighth overall on my board. So you can draft Joe Mixon with confidence now. We're on to Cincinnati. It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. Right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. And this week is a huge drafting week for fantasy football. I think the majority of fantasy drafts will take place in the next seven days. And a large percentage of that will be actually be this weekend, Labor Day weekend. And I'm doing my best to update my 2020 fantasy football draft board and strategy guide on fantasylawguide.com every day. Adjustments are being made every day. Breaking news factored in like this Camara stuff. And the board is being updated constantly. And I'm fine-tuning this thing you know, every few hours, every day to make sure it's as accurate as it can be for your drafts, whenever they are. And I'm going to note some of these changes or minor tweaks to my draft board before each show leading up to the season so you can stay apprised with my thought process here. And I made some moves last night. And the first is based in the wake of Leonard Fournette being cut. Obviously, Fournette off my draft board now. I only rank the top 85 players, and then I go into the sleeper sections there, the late-round strategy. And I had Fournette ranked at 58th overall, full disclosure there, and his ADP was 35th. So there was no way you were even entertaining the thought of drafting Leonard Fournette in your draft, which is great. But he's off the board now, at least until he's signed elsewhere. And there's potentially huge ramifications there, right? Like if he goes to Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or Houston or Chicago or Kansas City, I mean, anywhere he goes, it's likely going to hinder the value of the previously established starter. So I'm nervously awaiting this news. Right now, the Patriots are considered favorites. The Bears were considered favorites, but Matt Nagy said that he likes where his running backs are at right now, so that's good news for David Montgomery. Ew, David. But I'm just hoping that Leonard Fournette just doesn't go screw up a running back situation that, you know, I touted highly. He can sign with, like, the Jets or something. That would be great. And correspondingly, I also had to move Chris Thompson from deep sleepers, which he was in my deep sleeper list, which I defined as picks with average draft positions after 200. I had to move him to regular sleepers, which is ADPs around 120 or higher. And after thinking about the fallout in Jacksonville, Chris Thompson, not Raquel Armstead, is the back that you want to draft here. It's the back that you want to roster. I prefer Chris Thompson even in non-PPR formats after some consideration there. Raquel Armstead not having a good camp. He's been absent in camp, actually, with some kind of either undisclosed injury or illness that he's going through. And it sounds like, based on the beat writers' reports, that Armstead and Divine Azigbo could form kind of an RBBC there on early downs. And this is a terrible team, so that's not that valuable. It's not that useful to get early downs on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it lends favor to Chris Thompson, who knows this offense having played under Dre Gruden for years and is by far the best pass-catching specialist on this team. And he's pretty good when he's healthy, albeit rare. And I'm okay with taking Chris Thompson anytime after pick 100 in drafts. I think he's a nice sleeper for the reasons that I listed him as a deep sleeper, and now they are coming to fruition. I also had to move up Deshaun Jackson, who was my number one sleeper receiver. And he looks like he's going to be this year's Michael Gallup for me because it looks like I'm going to end up with Deshaun Jackson on every team I draft like I did with Gallup last year. And I think I have so far. There might be one team I don't have him on. But right now with the Jalen Rager injury, Rager's supposed to miss you know, the first three or four weeks of the season. Unfortunately, that has drawn attention to Deshaun Jackson's criminally low ADP. And the public and even experts are finally like stopping to think, hey, wait a minute, Deshaun Jackson could be the Eagles' number one receiver. And he's pretty good at football. We saw last week, I mean last year, week one, 
the top receiver in fantasy football, like 35 points. Good quarterback in Carson Wentz. Eagles receivers dropping like flies. You know, maybe he's a tremendous value in drafts. Yeah, no joke. Deshaun Jackson was going in like round, you know, 13 or 12 fantasy drafts at like 150 overall was his ADP when I published the draft guide like a week ago. It was like a total print fest getting him there or anywhere near there. And I've been reaching like two rounds higher than ADP just so I could get him on my teams. Now his ADP is skyrocketing upward, being pushed to like 110-ish. So I had to take Deshaun Jackson out of my sleeper section because he's not a sleeper anymore. And I had to place him on my board and be fair with all this. Uh, right behind Christian Kirk at 81 overall. And I think reaching for Deshaun Jackson as your receiver four should be a priority in your drafts. And that's why I'm putting him on my board so my readers can be in position to draft him. I want Jackson on every team, even if I have to take him like around 80 overall. And for as long as he's healthy, I actually think he's a weekly legitimate flex starting option that's going way too late in drafts. And the moment you draft him, you're going to be just wanting to start this guy. So so yeah, Deshaun Jackson, still a great value and someone I had to move up on my board uh, from my already high spot. And I guess that's a win of sorts for my draft guide when I'm having to move guys like Chris Thompson or Deshaun Jackson, who I listed as sleepers, up significantly. That means that I'm correctly assessing them as values and they're more likely to hit. But this next one is the opposite. This next one seems like it's going to be a miss for me. It, it, that's the way it looks, at least. I had to take Bryce Love out of the sleeper running back section. section, And he's running with a third team in Washington practices. There are rumors that he might not make the team. You know, I don't think he's draftable anymore, Bryce Love. And accordingly, I moved Antonio Gibson up a hair to 74th overall. And his ADP is still around 100. So I'm staying ahead of consensus on Gibson. But he is becoming a very, very popular, trendy sleeper pick. And it's becoming more and more real that he's going to be a pretty significant contributor to this backfield and he has upside for way more than that so I think he's a fine boomer bust selection in like round nine I also moved down Le'Veon Bell and Bell was another AFC player to avoid along with Leonard Fournette in, in that episode I think it was episode 14 so I was already fading Bell but the recent news out of Jets camp is pretty tragic right it looks pretty depressing over there I think the relationship between Adam Gase and Le'Veon Bell is fractured to the point of no return. So I've moved Le'Veon Bell from 57th overall with around 6th grade to 60th overall. It doesn't sound like much, but now he's around 7th. He's a 7th round pick for me and behind Ronald Jones. And his ADP is 45th overall anyway. So I just don't want drafters to be in position to take Bell. And they won't if you're following my guide. I just think that the Jets, bad team, Bad offensive line, slow pace. Adam Gase is running this offense, which is historically bad. And also, it looks like there's going to be a running back by committee of sorts with Frank Gore, of all people. I knew that signing was going to go a lot worse than expected for fantasy drafters. I knew that Gore was going to get a, a bigger role than fantasy drafters wanted. And that's what it looks like is going to happen. Adam Gase, everyone. The So Chris Carson is healthy, and he's practicing again, and I've moved him up to RB18 on my board ahead of Jonathan Taylor, and that's uh, he's right around ADP right now. I would still prefer James Conner and David Johnson over Chris Carson, but there's a chance you're going to be landing Chris Carson now if you're following my draft board. 
I also added Jameson Crowder to my board. He sits at 82 overall. Wide receiver, 35. His ADP is 99th overall, and I think his ADP is wide receiver, 41. or It's either 41 or 44, I forgot, but I like Crowder. I mean, I think he's a sleeper for 100 catches. Chris Herndon's gotten banged up in practice lately. Jameson, not Jameson Crowder, um, Rashad Perryman has been missing practice time with an injury, and Denzel Mims has missed like all of training camp with a hamstring issue. So Crowder is just set up to be a PPR monster, even if it goes, you know, even if he has 100 catches and it goes for like 600 yards and four touchdowns, which is, you know, a pretty accurate projection, even though it sounds like a joke. He's a nice, safe PPR pick for receiver depth if you go running back and tight end early, which if you're following my board, you will. So yeah, Jamison Crowder officially on the small board there. I mean, kicker news. I took out Matt Gay out of my sleeper kicker section. And yes, I had a sleeper kicker section. If you miss out on the top four options, Justin Tucker, Will Lutz, Harrison Butt Kicker. That's Butt Kicker for the Chiefs. I call him Harrison Butt Kicker. That's a great nickname. And then Greg, the Legs Zerline, another nickname there. If you miss out on those top four options, I had listed Matt Gay at, for Tampa Bay as somebody who you could wait into the last round for. I liked him because Tom Brady has always supported great fantasy kickers, and he still may. And Gay was sneaky good for fantasy last year. I think he finished as a top five kicker. And nobody really realizes that. Uh, though he's not that great in real life. And the Bucks agree because they signed Ryan Suckup for camp competition. So Gay may win out on this camp competition. But I didn't want y'all to be drafting Matt Gay and then he ends up losing this camp competition. And then you have to cut your kicker before week one even. So not worth it. So Matt Gay off the board for now. And by the same token, the Chargers defense... They get a little ding because they lost one of the best players for the season, strong safety Derwin James, one of the best safeties in the game. So a major ding to them. And I think I'd rather just stream defense if I miss out on like Buffalo or Pittsburgh. I think I'd rather wait just like to like the last round and just kind of punt the position and stream it based on the matchups each week. I also moved Zach Ertz up a tad. He's still tight in four, and I still have a large gap behind Mark Andrews to Zach Ertz. But I think the Jalen Rager injury does help Zach Ertz. He's a solid but not spectacular fourth-round pick, which I think is totally justifiable and in line with, with my board. As you can see, you know, you're know you getting a lot of receivers waiting on them until rounds five through seven. And speaking of receivers, I'm also adding Sterling Shepard to my receivers list. His ranking is right around 100 on most sites, but his average draft position is a lot lower. It's like around the 120s. Nobody really likes drafting Sterling Shepard, and that's because there's like three Giants wide receivers that are all going around the same area, and they're tough to differentiate. Uh, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, and Darius Slay. And the experts view all these guys differently and have their favorites. The public has their favorites. Everyone just kind of seems to like different ones. I like Shepard the most. I think he's the best wide receiver of the three, like in terms of talent. I think he's in his prime. He's the most versatile. I think the team is most invested in him based on their contracts. And last year, I think that he played through some injuries as well. There are a lot of mouths to feed in New York uh, with Saquon Barkley. the three receivers, and Evan Ingram. But in PPR formats, I think that Sterling Shepard is going too low. I think he's going to replace Deshaun Jackson in my sleeper list because I had to take Deshaun Jackson out and move him up to the big boy. In terms of deep sleepers, I'm going to be adding LaVisca Chenault, wide receiver in Jacksonville, to deep sleepers. And this is because the Fournette move kind of frees up some touches near the line of scrimmage, particularly receptions. And the Jags drafted Chenault in the second round of the NFL draft. And I think he's going... 
too much under the radar for a team that's going to be trailing early and often and throwing all the time under Jay Gruden, a pass-happy uh, head coach and, and and play caller. And the Jags just, you know, again, they're, they're in contention for the number one overall pick, so they're going to be losing a lot of games and being forced to throw with Gardner Minshew. They might have to air it out like 40 times a game. I think Chenault will benefit because the Jaguars, you know, D.D. Westbrook, Chris Conley, they haven't really stepped up as number two receivers. They need somebody opposite of D.J. Chark to do so, and I think they drafted him for that reason. So he's going on the deep sleeper list. You can find him after uh, 200th overall. And I'm also adding Josh Kelly there, running back for the Chargers to the running back deep sleepers. I think he's going to be end up as Austin Eckler's backup. He's kind of in a camp competition with Justin Jackson. And, and Kelly is a fourth-round rookie, so I have to beat out Jackson. But I think that he will. And I think that Eckler, you know, I mentioned a few episodes ago that I think Eckler, one of the reasons I'm a little lower than consensus on Eckler is that I'm not 100% confident that the Chargers want to use Eckler at the goal line, that they trust him there. And I think Josh Kelly might be getting those reps, and he might be kind of the 1B uh, to Eckler's 1A in that Chargers backfield. So I'm putting Josh Kelly on my deep sleepers list. And Brian Edwards, receiver for the Raiders, he is close to making the deep sleeper list, uh, but I'm not quite there yet. The camp reports have been glowing. He's getting more hype than Henry Ruggs, to be honest, which is pretty crazy considering the draft capital Ruggs was picked 12th overall, and he's coming out of Alabama. But now Tyrell Williams, uh, the Raiders receiver, has been placed on IR. So Edwards could be an opening day starter, along with Ruggs and Hunter Renfro. And Hunter Renfro already had it listed as a deep sleeper. And Derek Carr is just flushed with good weapons. We got Ruggs' speed combined with Renfro's possession ability. That's like perfect compliments for each other. Already, Brian Edwards looks like he's going to be a baller at some point. Darren Waller such a great athlete at tight end. Unfortunately, you know, if that wasn't messy enough for fantasy, Nelson Algalar, Jason Witten, and even... Foster Moreau will play some sort of role on this team in the passing game. And if anything, it makes me want to add Derek Carr to sleeper quarterbacks. And I did think about it. Carr will be a usable usable streamer, matchup-based play at different points in the season, I'm sure. But I wanted the sleepers to be picks that I thought could surprise with a top 12 selection. I just don't think Carr has that fantasy upside. So the last option for my quarterback sleepers when I was doing this draft guide came down to Drew Locke and Derek Carr. And you can make some the same arguments for both. You know, amazing supporting cast should propel them up there. But I favored Locke there over Carr because I think Locke has a rushing floor that Carr doesn't. And I think Locke has a more aggressive mentality where Carr loves to play conservative and check the ball down. You know, Drew Locke's going to turn the ball over more than Carr for sure. But he also will take chances that Carr just hasn't in his career. And I think that's helpful for fantasy purposes. So Drew Locke is my final quarterback sleeper. Okay, that covers the news and the rankings adjustments. That was a lot for today. We won't have nearly as much tomorrow. Uh, I have added explanations for my mid-round steals and deals for wide receivers on my draft board and round-by-round strategy guide. Again, this is on fantasylawguide.com. Make sure you're checking that out and using it for your fantasy drafts. Let's get to the main event today, which is wide receivers I am lower on than consensus. In my last episode, I discussed why I'm higher on several mid-round receivers, like why I'm targeting them. They included Tyler Lockett, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, DK Metcalf. I think I like that Seattle and Rams passing game. I think they're very underrated. 
passing games there. Scary Terry McLaurin, Calvin Ridley, and of course, two of my favorite picks in fantasy football this year. Two huge breakout candidates, in my opinion. Very affordable. Marquise Brown and Will Fuller. They're going in like rounds six and seven of fantasy drafts still, and I just think that that is a total print fest there. But I'm not going to keep harping on them. Today, I'm going to talk about wide receivers that I'm not likely to end up with on my teams because I just think they're going too high in drafts. And some of that is through no fault of their own. I just prefer other positions, like especially rounds three and, and even four, where I think it's smart to be going running back or going elite tight end there. And others, it's just because I like other wide receivers more. And I listed those receivers in my last podcast episode, and they are going, a lot of those receivers I listed are going after the players I'm about to list today. So why would I want to draft the ones today if I like the other ones more? And a little bit of this is about these seemingly great wide receiver picks having more question marks than I think most people realize. But I did want to clarify going in to this exercise because today's episode is all negative, right? Like it's all like I'm explaining why I don't want to draft these receivers. But that doesn't mean I think they're bad picks, right? It doesn't mean I think they're going to just totally suck this year because it's, it's, it's mainly about cost for me, right? Like I'm like I'm only explaining the bad things or the questionable areas of each of these receivers' outlooks because I'm trying to justify why I have them lower than the market because that's the questions y'all are going to have, not why there can be good picks. If I have them lower in the market, you're going to want to know why they're why they're not as great, why their outlooks are not as rosy. So that's the whole purpose of today. I'm not just trying to crap all over these receivers. I do think a lot of them, most of them are great players. And it's not like they're going to ruin your fantasy teams. I just think they're being drafted too high. And there's just no other way around it. So let's start off with the Bucks wide receivers. I mentioned Chris Godwin in my NFC Players to Avoid episode. I think it was episode 16 if you want to check that out. For more details and my best argument on fading Chris Godwin this year. DeAndre Hopkins also in there, in fact. Uh, so if you, are, if you are wondering why I'm out on them, I urge you to check out that episode already. But, you know, I don't want to repeat myself. And for that 10-minute rant for each player, for my regular listeners who listen to every episode. So I'm going to start with Kenny Galladay. And Galladay averaged 17.37 points per game as wide receiver 8 pace in the 8 games with Matt Stafford last season. That's great. But there are more mouths to feed in Detroit this season. I feel like I've already used the more mouths to feed expression like twice on this podcast already. But nevertheless... I'm talking about Marvin Jones, who actually posted similar numbers to Galladay with Stafford, by the way. And first round, tight end TJ Hawkinson is entering his second season. Tight ends normally start slow. He also dealt with some, some nagging injuries last year. And the Lions spent an early second round pick on pass catching running back DeAndre Swift. So drafting Galladay is a bet on talent. And I do believe in this talent. And we saw that this offense can be extremely aggressive through the air last season. Stafford led the NFL in average depth of throw and yards per attempt while active in the eight games. But I am a little weary of Matt Patricia and his dinosaur-like tendency to establish the run. I see Kenny Galladay as a top 10 wide receiver. And Mike Evans, too, for what it's worth, uh, definitely top 12 wide receivers. But I also see him as more of picks in the 30s rather than the 20s. And real quick, you know, I'm getting questions about why I like Mike Evans so much over Chris Godwin. And I just think that it's a pendulum swing kind of thing. Like Evans has consistently been one of the best receivers for like four years in a row now. And everything went right for Chris Godwin last year. He started much faster than he finished. He averaged like 20 
4.87 points per game in his first five games. He was the number one wide receiver even over Michael Thomas, but then only 15.86 points per game in his final eight games after the bye week, and that was wide receiver 15 pace. So I think he kind of slowed down already, and that could be the start of his regression there. And the slot narrative, it definitely exists with Brady and Bruce Arians. Like, they love peppering the slot, and it's great narrative because it's true, but we just don't know who Brady is going to like more out of Evans and Godwin. But there's also target competition, especially in the red zone. They have Gronk, they have O.J. Howard, they have Cameron Brait. It may be a three-way tight end rotation. The Bucks will be a winning team this year with Brady, I'm assuming, not constantly playing in negative game scripts and accruing garbage time yards after Jameis Winston interceptions and pick sixes. Their defense will probably be better. Their running game will probably be better too. So I'm lower than consensus on both Tampa receivers because of game flow issues. I think game flow is just so important. But I do trust Mike Evans more. Uh, Evans is, is more proven. I think Evans will be more of a red zone factor. And I just think he'll make more big plays down the field, especially early before Brady's arm gets tired over the course of the season, as we have clearly seen the last two or three seasons, Brady's arm declining as the season progresses. He's 40 million years old. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. He's going to drop off at some point. I think we've already seen it the second half of each of the last two or three seasons. Brady was just bad in the last 10 games last year. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. I mean, his fantasy numbers in the final 10, 11 games for the Patriots were along the lines of like Andy Dalton and Mitch Trubisky. You know, if you, and if you buy into Brady's arm strength declining as the season progresses, which I do, you know, I realize that that makes one think, well, maybe Godwin would be the beneficiary there because not Evans, because Evans is focused on deep routes. But I, I don't know, man. I just, I don't have the analytics to prove that Evans is a better pick than Godwin this year. But my gut is telling me that Evans is going to be the better Tampa Bay receiver and that he's going to kind of take back that shadow from Chris Godwin. And sometimes you just have to go with your instincts. Never give up. Trust your instincts. And and both are going a little too high, in my opinion, regardless. Allen Robinson. Quite a few people have not liked my ranking of Allen Robinson, and they found it somewhat controversial. I have Allen Robinson as wide receiver 12. Most experts have him, and most ranking sites have him. Wide receiver 7 or 8. You know, I love Allen Robinson's game. He was honestly one of the best players in the NFL, in my opinion, at any position last season. But the quarterbacks, you know, held him back. And you may think, well, you know, Foles is there. You know, I don't know if Foles is going to start. And I also don't know for sure if and when Foles starts that he'll be a huge upgrade over Mitch Trubisky. He probably will be by default. I mean, how could you not be? First of all, Allen Robinson was only receiver 13 in points per game last year. So this, so this idea of me ranking him 12th being like, oh my gosh, you're so low on Allen Robinson. No, that's actually right along the lines of what he was posting last season. And again, you may think that his situation's better this year with an upgraded quarterback, but that's only focused on one side, right? That's only looking at things could, that's an optimistic point of view. You're only looking at things that could get better. How about all the things that could get worse? Because a lot of things actually did go right for Allen Robinson last year. Allen Robinson was the guy in Chicago last year. He was third in the league in targets, and he had the healthiest year of his career. Like, everything went well. Like, I had, like, over 50% of exposure to Allen Robinson on my teams, like, at least last year. And I don't recall if he was ever on the injury point, like, injury report at, like, any point. And Anthony Miller was on the injury report. Anthony Miller was hurt 
for the first half of last season. He came on down the stretch. The Bears also couldn't run the ball at all last year with Montgomery. You have to think that that's going to improve, even though Montgomery's already hurt. Uh, they also had no tight end whatsoever. Taylor Gabriel got hurt. Um, and now the team signed Ted Ginn and Jimmy Graham. And yeah, they're past their primes. They don't sound like they're going to take a lot of Allen Robinson's target share. That's fine. But the Bears have been done before. And I just don't like getting into a habit of doubling down on my hits last year. Like if you pay close attention to my podcast and, the, and my draft guide, you may notice that all the players that I hit on, or or a lot of them at least, and I'm, I don't mean this to brag at all. It's going to come across as bragging, but but you know, let me just state all my big whiffs last year too to make it all even. Devonta Freeman, Sony Michelle, James Connor, OJ Howard, Curtis Samuel, David Montgomery. I mean, I totally whiffed on like all those guys last year. Game over. And I did an episode actually on evaluating last year's draft guide, by the way, Transparency Circle, episode 13, if you want to check that out. But a lot of my big hits, like Dalvin Cook, Chris Godwin, Darren Waller, Michael Gallup, Leonard Fournette, John Brown, Patriots defense, and Allen Robinson, you know, I'm kind of avoiding in drafts this year because I think that the market has kind of overcorrected. And that can happen. Like usually when a player breaks out, everything went right for them. The market overcorrects assuming that that will be the new normal and people, the public tends to chase last year's stats. And this isn't the case for all of the players that I hit on last year. Like I'm not fading all of my hits like Mark Andrews, Tyler Lockett, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, all on my board, probably higher than ADP. But for most of them, I just think that, you know, it's possible that they've peaked statistically last year. And Allen Robinson, you know, still a great wide receiver, but considering his quarterback situation as well, there's just other red flags there. So that's why I have Avalon Robinson. I don't think it's low, but but people have told me that it is low. So Juju Smith-Schuster is my next one. I have him now at wide receiver 16, uh, which I would admit is lower than consensus, especially for a borderline first round pick, second round pick last year. And I started this offseason research really high on Juju. You have probably gathered that I love injury discounts in the right situation. And Juju had the had the injury discount and the lack of quarterback discount. Because his last year was just a throwaway season with a number of injuries that he racked up. And he was playing with backup quarterback Mason Rudolph and third-string quarterback Duck Hodges. And, and in fact, the only game that he played with Big Ben last year in full was five catches for 78 yards against the New England Patriots. And that was when Stephon Gilmore... You know, was shadowing him, which is not a bad outing against Gilmore, as we saw Defensive Player of the Year last year. So I wanted to be high on Juju Smith-Schuster, especially with his work ethic in a contract year. And I do think he will bounce back. I do like Juju. But two years ago, when Juju finished as a top 10 wide receiver, Big Ben threw for 5,000 yards, over 5,000 yards. I think he led the NFL in passing yards that year. And that's just not going to happen this year. And it's not just the questions about Big Ben's 40-year-old elbow holding up. But it's also because the Steelers have such a great defense, like arguably the league's top defense. I, w- I would probably put the Bills first, but the Steelers could have the league's you know, a top three defense, and this is a winning team, positive game scripts. I think they're going to run the ball a lot more than they could last year, hopefully with James Conner healthy. And when they do throw, there's a lot of competition for targets. Deontay Johnson looks like he's going to be a player. James Washington was sneaky good last year. He was just as good as Deontay Johnson was, honestly. A lot of experts don't like to admit that, but it's true in terms of fantasy football. Deontay, uh, James Washington was putting up just the same type of numbers that Deontay Johnson was. And Washington was a second-round pick. He's still young. Both are ascending players. 
And the Steelers drafted Chase Claypool, a huge red zone target in the second round, another wide receiver there. And speaking of red zone targets, the Steelers also signed tight end Eric Ebron, who surely is athletic enough. He will play a decent role this season. And they still have Vance McDonald as tight end too. And James Conner can catch as well. And that top 10 season we saw with Juju Smith-Schuster was with Antonio Brown. So there are questions about whether Juju can be the guy and fend off extra defensive attention sans Antonio Brown. So yeah, I think Juju can easily post a top 10 season like all these receivers can, but it doesn't come without some questions. So moving on, DJ Moore. This is another one that people are kind of freaking out about. I wouldn't say freaking out, but I've gotten several text messages saying, dude, what is your deal with DJ Moore? Like, why do you hate him so much? I do not hate DJ Moore. I don't hate any of these guys. But but yeah, I am super low on DJ Moore this year compared to the experts and compared to like where he's ranked on like ESPN Yahoo. Because I just think, especially ESPN, like they have him like 25th overall. That's just way too high for me. I don't want to be spending a second round, early third round pick on DJ Moore. But it, but that could make me look stupid. Like I love his game. He finished so strongly. 19.8 points per game in the last seven games was wide receiver two pace. And he did so with a shitful quarterback situation. So in theory, I love his short area game and his 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 dominant yards after the catch ability. And that skill set jives perfectly with Teddy Bridgewater, who's so accurate in the short to intermediate areas. And the Panthers will be trailing so often and having to outscore opponents because of their pitiful defense. It may be the worst defense in the NFL. But even though you know I like the Joe Brady signing and things are looking up, it seems for DJ Moore, you know it is a new quarterback and it is a new offense for DJ Moore. Like we can't just assume that he's going to be getting the same role. Like like it seems like he is, but I, to me it's kind of a red flag that he's a, a new quarterback. Even if Teddy Bridgewater, even if Teddy Bridgewater is supposed to be an upgrade, and it is a red flag with a new offense, even if. It is supposed to be an upgrade because Moore was that great down the stretch last year. Like, I don't want things to really change for him. And the Panthers, they added Robbie Anderson. Curtis Samuel could play in the slot this year instead of just being a clear-out role like he was last year where it's kind of low-calorie targets where he was just kind of just sent deep on nine routes and didn't really do much else, more of a decoy than anything. And Curtis Samuel could play a key role in the slot for this Joe Brady offense. We know that's an important position. We don't know if DJ Moore is going to slide into the slot. Like, we just don't know. And that's kind of my point. We know Christian McCaffrey is going to command 100 targets at least. We know Ian Thomas is a decent tight end. We know they signed Robbie Anderson. They have Curtis Samuel. Even, you know, even if the situation is right for success, I don't know if we can trust Teddy Bridgewater to support all of these guys. We just haven't seen it in his career. And Moore racked up a lot of targets in yards with crap quarterback play last season and the touchdowns were down, but I'm not sure he's going to see positive touchdown regression. Like, I'm not sure they're going to come up just because his playing style. Like I don't view DJ Moore as a red zone weapon and I feel sick about ranking DJ Moore so low. Like I don't even want to mention where I have him. Like I'm embarrassed about it, but I think that, but I think about like when I'm trying to slot him on my board, like I'm just not sure. So he just kind of drops by default, like drops behind picks that I am more confident in. But if there's anything I am somewhat sure about it's that he's likely going to fail to exceed his cost or return his value at like an ADP of like 27th overall or 28th overall or whatever it is. So moving on, Amari Cooper, you know, Amari Cooper is another really tricky evaluation because through the first 10 weeks of last year, Cooper was averaging 22.31 points per game in the first eight games, his first eight games that he played. And that's if you take out that Jets game where he left after like five snaps. He, that was wide receiver two pace behind Michael Thomas. 
in his first eight full games. And in his last seven games, playing through knee and ankle injuries, Cooper averaged 9.79 points per game. That was wide receiver 44 pace. So massive, stark differences in this first half of the season, the second half of the season. It was just brutal in the second half. Like he was unusable. And, and when I say that, I mean unstartable. And we could be seeing a huge injury discount here as a result. And I acknowledge that. And I love that he's playing with Dak Prescott at quarterback. So that keeps, you know, that loaded offense in Dallas could be the NFC's best offense. And that keeps Cooper higher up for me. But you can make the, and you can even make the argument that CeeDee Lamb, you know, that his addition actually helps Cooper because it'll put Cooper in the slot where he excels. And Lamb will have to deal with the best corners in the game. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Which we saw Cooper struggle to handle. Last season, like in a, in a slew of tough cornerback matchups who kind of erased him down the stretch. But you can also make the argument that Lamb will cap Cooper's upside. And Blake Jarwin will be an upgrade over Jason Witten, especially in the red zone. And they also have Michael Gallup. Giddy up. And Zeke is also due for double-digit touchdowns on the ground. And I think Dallas will be a playoff team this year, so game flow may not be in his favor. And I know that Kellen Moore is going to keep play-calling duties from Mike McCarthy but I don't know. I don't fully trust the whole Mike McCarthy thing there. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to input his own stuff into the offense. And that kind of has me a little worried about the Cowboys, just slightly enough. But overall, just Cooper is just a tough read. Like ultimately, I think you're getting inconsistency from a week-to-week basis, as is normal with Amari Cooper, which I think is fine. I think week-to-week consistency is a little overrated as long as his spikes can win you weeks. Then, then I'm okay with inconsistency. But over the year, I think Cooper has a safe floor with Dak, which I do like. But he's going in rounds three and four. A lot of these guys are. And I just like running backs and, and Mark Andrews there a little more. And moving on, yeah, I, I guess I'll touch on DeAndre Hopkins here because he's kind of sticking out as a sore thumb as I go through my notes or really go through my draft board. This episode is about mid-round wide receivers I'm fading. He is one of the poster boys there. So I think with, with DeAndre Hopkins, you have to understand that he was wide receiver seven in points per game last season with Deshaun Watson in Houston. And now he's going 17th overall and his ADP is wide receiver three. So, I mean, you have to ask yourself for fantasy purposes, would you rather him still be in Houston or Arizona? Personally, I'd say Houston. And, and that to me would make his ADP make a little more sense, right? He was Wide receiver seven in points per game, kind of a little bit of a down year for Hopkins, but staying in Houston, you know, I would like that. I know he's going to get fed with targets, and that 17th overall PPR ADP would be okay with me. Like, I would draft him there if he was still in Houston, or I would at least consider him. Like, it's not a great value in my opinion, but it's still, it's it's okay. It's like right on the mark. It's like it's, it's an accurate assessment of where his ADP should be if he was still in Houston, but he's not in Houston anymore. So if you're taking Hopkins anywhere near there, I think you have. To, I think that means that you have to like him more in Arizona than you liked him for Houston. And maybe you know you see the Cliff Kingsbury fit, and you just love the fit with Kyler Murray. But sometimes the fit can be a mirage, especially in year one. Things tend to not go as planned in the first year when these wide receivers change teams, whether it's free agency or via trade. And everyone thought, for example, that Odell Beckham to Cleveland last year was just going to be this massive. You know, quarterback upgrade, the corpse of Eli Manning to the young and electric Baker Mayfield. A huge upgrade over League Eli, and that would be great. But it just didn't work out, did it? And often it does not. And according to a study by John Paulson at 444football.com, a wide receiver who averages eight 
or more fantasy points over the last two seasons, over his last two seasons, sees his points per game production drop by at least 24% the next season if he changes teams. So couple that with the fact that this is a COVID-shortened offseason, no minicamp, no OTAs, no preseason, barely a training camp. DeAndre Hopkins has been missing practice. There are rumors that he might be having a contract dispute, uh, a la Alvin Kamara, a la Dalvin Cook. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins have barely seen the field together either way. And with Hopkins' playing style, his biggest strength is these back shoulder phases, these contested catches. You need chemistry for that. Can chemistry that he develops with Watson probably won't be there with Kyler, at least initially. And as Evan Silva from EstablishTheRun.com pointed out, Hopkins has averaged 166 targets over each season in the last five seasons in Houston. And no Cardinals pass catcher commanded as much as 110 targets last year in Cliff Kingsbury's first year. The Cardinals, you know, there's a lot of conceptions about uh, Cliff Kingsbury, but the Cardinals' pace and plays per game after week four last season was right around league average. And the Cardinals ran the ball more than you think with Kenyon Drake once he was acquired. They were a more successful running team than they were throwing. And Kingsbury also likes to deploy three and four receivers at a time. Kirk, Christian Kirk should be healthier. Larry Fitzgerald's there. Andy Isabella's there. You know, I, you know, Dan Arnold, sleeper in the red zone, reported a great rapport with Kyler Murray. Look, I'm not saying that DeAndre Hopkins isn't going to outproduce these guys. These guys are scrubs compared to DeAndre Hopkins. You know, Hopkins will out-target them. But again, Houston averaged 166 targets for DeAndre Hopkins for five straight seasons. That's more than 10 a game. 10 targets a game. I don't know if we're going to see that in year one here. And on the other hand, I do think Hopkins won't necessarily flop unless he holds out, of course. Hopkins, according to Dr. Jesse Morse, at Dr. Jesse Morse on Twitter, Hopkins has only been missed. He's only missed one game in his last seven seasons. He's played 111 out of 112 possible games. That's 99.1% start rate. He's an Ironman there. And Cliff Kingsbury may look to pepper DeAndre Hopkins near the line of scrimmage with targets just to get him involved like they did with Christian Kirk in weeks one through four last year before Kirk sprained his ankle. So he, so PPR leagues, I like DeAndre Hopkins a lot more than standard leagues. So Hopkins won't be on my team. He's going too high. But you know what? You know, I bet I will be on him next year after I, I, what I think will be a year one disappointment and the market will overcorrect there. And I think Hopkins will be a value next year. So the next wide receiver on my list is A.J. Brown. And man, I mean, the ultimate boomer bust pick for fantasy this year. Final six regular season games for A.J. Brown. Reeks 12 through 17. He just exploded. He was a rookie last year. 21.28 points per game in weeks 12 through 17 last year. He won a lot of people at fantasy championships. That was wide receiver two pace behind Michael Thomas. He's got the size, the speed, the athleticism. Amazing after the catch. Deep play threat. Red zone threat. He's just a playmaker. He looks like a young Des Bryant or Terrell Owens. Definitely due for regression in efficiency last year. Like he scored like nearly every time he touched the ball, it seemed like. But that'll come down as defenses focus on him more. But the Titans, you know, they don't have a ton of of passing volume because Derrick Henry being the centerpiece of that offense. I think if Derrick Henry, if something happened to him, A.J. Brown would probably explode. And I do think Tennessee will have to throw more this year. But either way... You know, you have to love that Browns competition for targets are Corey Davis, Johnny Smith, and Khalif Raymond. Like, that's who he's competing with. So Brown is going to be the key component of this passing game. And Ryan Tannehill, you know, I don't think he's a total fluke. I think I think he's the real deal. I don't think he's going to be as good this year, but I think he still is going to be a, a pretty good quarterback. But my main bugaboo with A.J. Brown is I mentioned that 
you know, his efficiency is going to come down with defenses focusing more attention on him. We already kind of saw that in the playoffs. In the NFL playoffs, here Browns three games in the playoffs. Again, the first one against New England, one target, one catch, four yards, zero touchdowns against New England. And it's okay. It's like that's Stephon Gilmore, shutdown corner. That's fine. Then against Baltimore, three targets, one catch, nine yards, no touchdowns against Baltimore. And then the next week, the AFC Championship against Kansas City Chiefs, six targets, three catches, 51 yards, no touchdowns. A.J. Brown scored a total of 12.5 fantasy points in three playoff games. That is a very concerning game-logging red flag. I would like A.J. Brown a lot more if he was going like a round or two later. And I'd love to get A.J. Brown as my wide receiver one if like I'm opening up with three running backs and a tight end, like rounds one through four. Like I would love A.J. Brown to be my receiver one in that case. But he's a similar prospect to D.K. Metcalf, who's going like two rounds later on average and also has the better quarterback uh, Metcalf does. So I'm winding up with Metcalf more than his former teammate, A.J. Brown. So the last receivers I want to get in today, Cortland Sutton and Keenan Allen. I'm very low on both of them versus the consensus ADP and expert rankings. With Sutton, it's just an issue of competition for targets. Like he was the guy last year, like Allen Robinson. And, and Sutton had a great year despite atrocious quarterback play. And Sutton was actually way better in real life than he was in fantasy. Like Allen Robinson, maybe it surprised you when I said that Robinson was only uh, receiver 13 in points per game last year. Well, Sutton was actually... His 13.9 points a game in 16 games last year was actually wide receiver 28 pace. And Sutton is being drafted a lot higher than that. And you probably thought Sutton was a lot better than that because he really was a breakout candidate last year. And Sutton really was amazing in real life. Like he actually led the league in pass interference targets, or sorry, excuse me. He led the league in pass interference penalties drawn against him. And he, again, played with just a, a... terrible, atrocious quarterback situation with like Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen. Sutton was great, but he wasn't quite as good as people really seem to recall in terms of fantasy football. And this year they added Jerry Judy, the Broncos did in round one. And I think he's going to be very good, even as a rookie. And the Broncos also drafted in round two, KJ Hamler. So their first two picks, KJ Hamler's a speedster receiver out of Penn State. So their first two picks were wide receivers, and then they spent their fourth-round pick on tight end Albert O. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I cannot pronounce his last name. I don't want to try to pronounce his last name. It's just going to be embarrassing for me, but everyone calls him Albert O. I'm going to call him Albert O, but he's their second tight end in Denver, and he's a great receiving threat. They spent around four pick on Albert O, and speaking of tight ends, of course, last year's uh, top 20 overall pick, their first-round pick, Noah Fant, is entering his second year and is kind of a breakout candidate there in Denver. The team also signed Melvin Gordon as well. And this is all with a very green kind of raw quarterback in Drew Locke. So Sutton last year, it was only five games, but did not put up good numbers with Drew Locke. He was actually worse with Drew Locke than he was with Flacco and Brandon Allen. And I get it's a limited sample size, but there's just more pieces of the pie this year in Denver. And I think his ADP at receiver 14 just makes zero sense to me. So I would draft Cortland Sutton like two or three rounds later after he's being picked. So I'm I'm out on Sutton 
And I'm also probably out on Keenan Allen as well with an ADP of 50 overall. And no offense to Allen, and I may even bump Allen up just a little bit in the in the wake of the Mike injury, the Mike injury, the Mike Williams injury. And, and Williams, it's just been reported that he's going to miss probably the first three or four weeks of the season, if I had to guess, and, but which will create a bigger opportunity for Keenan Allen. So I probably will move him up a little in my rankings. But Allen, you know, a legitimate top 12 wide receiver in the NFL, but not for fantasy football, in my opinion. Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback. There's a massive downgrade in the air from Phillip Rivers, who just kind of flooded Keenan Allen with targets in the last three years. And the Chargers will likely play at a slow pace. They'll run the ball. They'll play great defense, uh, or at least they'll try to. uh, But they could finish literally last in passing attempts per game. And I wouldn't blink an eye. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I think this could be an even lower pass volume offense if Justin Herbert comes in at like midseason. And he's also a very raw rookie. So, so who didn't have the luxury of a full offseason thanks to COVID. So I think Keenan Allen will have like 1,000 yards this year because he's awesome. And he'll make the best of a, a pretty poor situation. But I'm expecting like only like 70 catches, maybe 1,000 or so yards and six touchdowns. And he's going at receiver 21. And I just like Scary Terry over Keenan Allen. I like DJ Chark over Allen, DK Metcalf, Will Fuller, Marquise Brown. All of those guys are going after Keenan Allen in drafts. So for those reasons, I have to be out on Keenan Allen. That sounded like Shark Tank right there. I don't know if y'all any of y'all watched that show. And for those reasons, I am out. But I am also out today as well. That'll conclude today's episode. My 2020 draft board and strategy guide is published on fantasylawguide.com. Make sure you hit that up for your drafts and use that valuable resource. I am biased, but I think it is better than all of the draft guides and and expert opinions and rankings that you will find online. It's at the very minimum, it's different and it'll make you think. You will acquire knowledge by reading it. So it's definitely worth your time if you are into fantasy football or If you are just a casual player, you're in a work league, like one league a year, and you just don't want to embarrass yourself, and you maybe just want to win, impress all your coworkers, well, then there's a round-by-round strategy guide. It's really easy to follow. You can just follow the draft board, and there's late-round strategy and and sleepers after that. I mean, it is just, you know, everything that you need is in this draft guide. So check it out before your drafts. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Do me a favor. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, hit the subscribe button. Give me a five-star podcast rating. And hey, write a favorable review. I love favorable reviews. They really, really help podcasts grow. I will be back next episode tomorrow or the next day. See ya.